Welcome to Florida. That is the voice of New York Times bestselling author and environmental reporter, Craig Pittman. My name is Chad Scott. Each and every week in between his great books, you can read Craig Pittman's columns at the Florida Phoenix, floridaphoenix.com. And Craig's got a sighting this week, some cryptozoology. He's found <laughs> Bigfoot. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I pointed out in the, in the column that, you know, Florida is, has so many unusual aspects to it. You know, we've got mermaids that work for the park system. We've got iguanas popping up in people's toilets. And we're the only state that has four Bigfoot or Big Feet, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the, the famous uh, stinky skunk ape down yep. in South yep. Florida. We've got the Barden Booger in Central Florida. Heard of that. We've got the the wild man of uh, Okosi Lake uh, up in the Panhandle. And the and of course, uh, my favorite one is the Tallahassee Bigfoot, which is what I call our legislature because they're constantly trying to Bigfoot local government and make them do things that they don't want to do or reverse things that they have done. Like, uh, you know, Key West passes a ban on a certain type of sunscreen that's bad for Mm -hmm. the coral reef. Oh, sorry, you can't do that. The legislature has taken away your authority. Uh, And in this case, they're they're big footing local governments all over the state who are trying to impose impact fees on new developments so they can use that money in order to build new, uh, you know, new sewage plants, new libraries, new fire stations to accommodate structure to support all these people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. It's a one time fee, you know, that they pay, you know, per house or whatever. And uh, the developers don't like it. They don't like having to put up with these fees. And so they have gone to the legislature to try and cut back on the circumstances under which local governments can charge the fees and cut back how much they can raise the yeah. fees. You know, I, I watched a couple of the legislative hearings on these bills that are moving through the, through the legislature. I and mean, one of them, Joe Gruders, who's the chairman of the Florida Republican Party, as well as a state senator from Sarasota, was saying, oh, you know, they're going to make it make it really, really hard to have affordable housing in Florida mm-hmm. by raising these impact fees. It's like, the biggest threat to Florida's affordable housing is the Florida legislature because yeah. they're constantly pulling money out of the state's affordable housing fund to spend it on stuff completely unrelated to affordable housing. This is an issue which you have really done a, a wonderful job in highlighting, even here in recent weeks, whether it's funding for Florida forever, whether it's the cruise ship terminals in Key West. Uh, there are, have been any number of locally passed mandates, not not only locally passed amendments to the state constitution that the Florida legislature bigfoots, but also local uh, municipalities wanting to pass sure. ordinances. Tree, ordin- tree yeah. ordinance, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they bigfooted that too. And they said, sorry, Tampa, you can't protect your trees. Can't do it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and now when the reverse tends to happen. It, it's not the same when a local municipality wants to make it easier for developers to come in. The state very rarely steps forward. Oh, they're and says, fine no, with that. No. And, yeah, and no, they're fine with that. <laughs> right. One, one thing that, that I am finding, uh, and certainly that, that you're well aware of, and you highlight in this article, is the number of developers, home builders, construction employees who are state legislators. You know, these are yeah. not scientists and school teachers. No. As often as not, these people are in the business of building stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so I quoted a Democratic state uh, representative who's like, oh, I know all about impact fees because I work as corporate counsel for, you know, 13th floor homes, uh, mm-hmm. which is a home builder in, in his area. And it's like, well, now it makes sense that you're in favor of this, even though it's going to hurt your constituents. It yeah, benefits yeah. your employer. And this is not as much as many people might want to make it out to be a Democrat Republican thing. This is no. fairly universal. This is bipartisan. And and the interesting thing is what's spurring it, and this is not very widely known, is a situation going on in the villages where growth there, which has been phenomenal, yeah. has not been yeah. paying for itself. And so the Sumter County Commission a couple of years ago said, oh my God, we need all these new services in order to pay for things that are needed by the new growth. And so we're going to raise taxes on everybody by 25%. And people in the villages flipped out, understandably so. And said, olds didn't like that, you're telling me? They did not like like the fact that this county commission was not using impact fees on new development. Mm -hmm. And instead they were charging everybody for what the new growth was causing. And so it came time for elections this past year and they threw out three of the county commissioners who were all considered to be working under the thumb of the development company mm-hmm. and brought in three challengers who long shot challengers all have all promised we're going to use impact fees to pay for this stuff instead of a tax increase. So now the developer has pushed these the legends around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gone to the state. You can't, con- you can't accuse people in the villages of being, you know, 
wild-eyed liberals by any means. No, they're, no. Yeah, they're reacting to the effect on their pocketbooks, though. Uh-huh. Welcome to Florida, as always, presented by Hip Camp. Landowners all across Florida earning up to $1,000 a month by listing spots where folks can camp, glamp, and RV. They're doing it at hipcamp.com. It's free to list. Hip Camp takes care of everything, including liability insurance. You're probably thinking, well, I've got a place, but what a pain in the neck. And I'm going to be talking to people. And do I need permitting? Do I need insurance? Hip Camp takes care of all of that. If you've got a place in Florida that has some uh, open space near natural settings, preferably Hip Camp wants to hear from you. They are a national company that does this everywhere in addition to all across Florida. So they have streamlined the service to make it easy for you to list your property and do it on your terms and start generating income. So if that sounds attractive to you, look them up today. Hipcamp.com slash land. Hipcamp.com slash land. Today's guests, Craig, we've got two guests with yes. us, uh, husband and wife duo, Jeff and Ann Vandermeer, who have a, an endlessly fascinating backstory, catch people up to speed. Uh, Jeff and Ann have been living in Tallahassee for, I guess, about four decades. Jeff is a writer and is an, is an editor, an award-winning editor. And Jeff uh, is probably best known for uh, his Southern Reach trilogy, which uh, begins with the book Annihilation, and which was turned into a, a movie with Natalie Portman. It was inspired by uh, his hiking in a natural area in North Florida, the uh, St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge, which has a very famous lighthouse there. Well, lighthouse uh, plays a pretty prominent role in the Southern Reach trilogy as well. Uh, he since then has written uh, books like Born, Dead Astronauts, and he's got a new one out now called Hummingbird Salamander that's sort of a departure from his previous books. Uh, and he and Anne have teamed up on editing a number of fantasy and science fiction anthologies that have been, that have sold very well. Uh, and what I really want to talk to him about is what they have done with their backyard mm-hmm. since they moved into a new house a couple of years ago, because it's it's quite fascinating. If you follow Jeff on on Twitter, you get to see a lot of the uh, results there, which some of which are, are kind of surprising. Yeah, a, a fascinating couple with uh, great stories and insights into n- any uh, number of topics. We are looking forward to this conversation. I'm going to remind you one last time about Hip Camp. Again, if you want to start earning some side income from your property around Florida, all you need is a flat spot. It can be just small enough for someone to pitch a tent. Hip Camp's got a great community of members all over the country who wants to come to Florida and they don't, there's no room in the inn. They need more rooms and that's where you can come in. Get started today at hipcamp.com slash land, hipcamp.com slash land. And without further ado, now Jeff and Ann Vandermeer. How has Florida inspired the things that you've written? You live in, in Tallahassee long enough, you don't realize just how uh, how much fungus you're <laughs> walking by every day and how much semi-tropical jungle you're walking by every day. Really. And then you just find- and that's just at the so, Capitol. Right, right. Exactly. That's right. You just don't know how much fungus or where it's going to pop up. <laughs> so there's that. So it just kind of appears. And then, uh, you know, the intentionality of, you know, a while back, I remember the festival, of the freshwater squid, where I got in trouble with a paper down in Sebring, Florida, because I made up a fake squid and put it in a, a, a lake around Sebring and then wrote a, a piece that was like a fake article and got in all kinds of trouble. So after that, I was like subconscious. I want to write about Florida, but uh, not in that way. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, eventually out came Annihilation and, and you know, it kind of like chronicled in a way the, the hiking I love to do in North Florida. And ever since then, it's been even more uh, intentional. Uh, sometimes it's indirect, like uh, in the new book, Hummingbird Salamander, the salamander is actually from the Pacific Northwest, but all the information and personal stuff I know about salamanders is the frosted uh, flatwood salamander from around here. To me, the obvious example is the is the St. Mark's Lighthouse. Yeah, that was a direct, the direct inspiration. Oh yeah, absolutely, and 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 actually, uh, it's amazing after annihilation to get a peek up in there before they restored the thing and see that it it actually was very much uh, as I described, except for the the way in which it, in the book it's larger on the inside than on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> but that was kind of weird. It was kind of weird how the actual description matched what it looked like. <laughs> there wasn't any fungus in there that blew spores on you, though, right? No, there wasn't. There wasn't, although they do have a humidity issue still inside of there because of some of the, the weird attributes of water and whatnot that runs down it. <laughs> have you have people actually come to visit St. Mark's as a result of reading your books? Yeah, they have. Uh, Anne knows this. They, uh, 
They've also uh, had weddings in in uh, in ruined lighthouses because of annihilation. I've gotten wow. invites to weddings uh, <laughs> where it's like I'm not really sure that annihilation would would really be the kind of book that would bring people together like that. But yeah. um, you know, I I didn't read that as a romance. A pretty um, uh, robust visitor uh, list of, of folks who come there because of annihilation, and their gift shop has a a, a t-shirt, a Ariax t-shirt that the proceeds oh, go to uh, maintenance of the refuge and the the Salamander Project and everything. And uh, they've sold a, a lot of those worldwide. It's actually been a really nice community building thing because the people who run the the store, the, the refuge, they do all this personal communication with the people who order. So they've had wonderful conversations with people in Germany who now know about the refuge. And it's, been, it's just been really nice. That's great. And you've actually set aside some of your book royalties to help support environmental causes in Florida, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, part, part of that goes to the refuge. Part of that's gone to the Center for Biological Diversity. Some of it's gone to the Apalachicola River Keepers, some to the Florida Wildlife uh, Federation. Uh, so just trying to trying to give it to places that are trying to protect land, trying to protect water. And the refuge has actually had a dedicated intern devoted to the salamander in part because of annihilation royalties. That's been nice to see. We've also fundraised, fundraised and, and saved uh, 16 acres of uh, mature cypress property right outside of Tallahassee. That we plan on uh, through our Vandermeer Creative trying to have a perpetual fundraiser that has like a bucket fund to just buy buy small properties that are essential, you know, in the patchwork of environmental causes, but, but the larger conservation places are, you know, it's, it's too small for them to, to really uh, be interested in. Last year, we partnered with a local brewery and St. Mark's, and um, they actually created a beer based on annihilation. Wow. <laughs> yes. It's called Tropical Habitat. And they had a big launch release. This was this was like two weeks for maybe three weeks before the shutdown, before the pandemic, before we knew anything. And we had this huge event in their brewery and people came and they're drinking beer and they're buying all kinds of stuff from the, the St. Mark's people, the refuge. So they made they made um, quite a bit of money doing that. And it was really wonderful because, of course, after the shutdown, when no one was there, mm -hmm. they didn't have a way to to make money. So being able to sell things online from their store was really helpful to them with the T-shirts and the books and the bags and everything else that they were doing. It's just become like this this great, great feedback loop and that, you know, Annihilation being so successful meant that we were in the spotlight a little more locally. And that gave us a little more pull to put the spotlight then on some of these environmental things, put the spotlight on the refuge. So, you know, Vandermeer Creative, the, this S-Corp that we have also, you know, funds the Tallahassee Film Festival, helps fund Word of South, the Literary Festival, uh, things like that. So we're, we're trying to do what we can for the community because we love this place. What is Vandermeer Creative and how long has that been up? Oh, gosh. 10 years, maybe yeah. 10, not quite 10 years. Um, when, when Jeff first um, sold the Southern Reach trilogy, our mm -hmm. agent recommended that we start a corporation and do everything through that. So mm -hmm. prior to that, it was just on, you know, through ourselves, but this mm -hmm. allowed us to expand what we were doing to think about what we really wanted to do beyond just writing and publishing and editing books. So we're able to expand through that. We've also done a lot of things outside of the Tallahassee community in the, the wider world, doing things for um, literary, helping children, kids, young writers, promoting all that kind of stuff. So we've done a lot of things beyond the environmental things as well. You guys are typically categorized as weird fiction. How is <laughs> weird fiction different than just regular fiction? That happens to be weird, maybe. I was going to say in Florida, that's regular fiction. That's right. right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's right. normal, like, crank. <laughs> we came to it naturally because we're Floridians. Right. There you go. I think just in Florida, thinking about it, there's this confluence of all the amazing, sometimes alien wildlife. And then there's the alien wildlife <laughs> of the people. Then there's the overlay of the alien wildlife of the politics. <laughs> you put that all together, it looks pretty surreal. The, the weird fiction is just stuff that's a little more surreal, that's non-realist. Uh, I don't know if it really describes Hummingbird Salamander, the new one, which is pretty much a, a page turner of an eco-thriller that, you know, has a little speculative element. Uh, but, you know, really it's kind of about cataloging, I guess, the, the wonder and, and, and mystery of the world is really what it is. And it just comes out in, in various ways. I mean, when I research a hummingbird or a salamander, you find out all these details of their life cycle that don't even 
really seem real. So, you know, the world around us is, is pretty weird in a good way. You guys moved into a new house, right? Not, not too long ago. And you started redoing the backyard. And it has produced some interesting side effects, I guess. We moved here uh, at the end of uh, 2018. Keeping in mind that we've been in Tallahassee for, I'd say, 40 years or so. And this is a different part of town. So there was a lot of things that we were learning about it. The house that we moved into was actually designed and built by an architecture student from FAMU. Mm -hmm. So we learned about that. And and, um, that was really interesting. But what's so funny is that when Jeff and I first came to look at the house with the realtor, of course, the first thing he did, like he always did for every house we looked at is he went straight to the backyard to look at it. And if it didn't have a good backyard, then it was like, nope. I don't even care what the inside looks like. <laughs> so, so the same thing happened here. You know, I showed, I saw the listing online and I showed him the house and the house is just like, it's, it just really met our, our aesthetic. But then mm-hmm. when he went immediately to the backyard and saw all of the greenery and there was this ravine in the back and all this stuff, he was like, yep, this is the one. And I walked into the bedroom. They have a big master. We have a big master bedroom here and it had built in bookshelves oh that's always a plus so come on it's like a tree house (laughs) with built-in bookshelves we had to have it it was like the perfect house for us it was like it was like that student back in the 70s built this house for us knowing that someday Mm -hmm. we would move here that's how i came to find out about jeff and and the writing on twitter at Jeff Vandermeer, I think Craig probably retweeted something he was doing in the backyard because I'm big into Florida native plants and re-naturalizing lawns and, and saw this incredible project you're working on in your lawn to bring back native plants and native trees and then the native animals. And then at, at one point I went to your timeline on Twitter. And I was like, Oh my God, this, look at how many followers. Oh, this guy's an author. I had no idea. So, I mean, there's all sort of different entry points into your lives. And, and mine was with this incredible backyard project that on, on you know, one twenty-fifth scale, I'm attempting to, to replicate here at my house. Where did you guys get into attempting to break free from the lawn, so to speak, and, yeah. and the traditional American yard and, and, and go native? We kind of at the old house. It was a smaller property. It was also it had like 43 trees on a third of an acre. So that was really the wilderness. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't much space to really do a native garden. But when I did do one in the front, we actually got a citation from the city (laughs) because uh, the neighbor, the neighbor complained. Uh, And, you know, (laughs) I understand that Uh, some native wildflowers can look really unruly, but um, I really thought hard about what to do because I felt like the city wouldn't have issued the citation without the neighbor complaining. They didn't, the city didn't really care. Uh, So how can I appease the neighbors? So what I did is I, I weed whacked those wildflowers into a rectangular block. I put a cheap little white fence around them. And then every time the neighbor was around, like when they came back from work, I would go out with the weed whacker and pretend to weed whack. And as long <laughs> as I went through these rituals and as long as I had that white picket fence around the wildflowers, they didn't care anymore. So it was this really <laughs> weird ritualistic thing. Like I remember one day, you know, I would do weed whacking around the fringe a little bit where you could see it from the road. But I remember one day that I thought I might be losing my mind because I had stopped weed whacking entirely and I was just running the weed whacker over the grass while I was making weed whacker sounds just for the neighbor. (laughs) So that's kind of where it started. But when we got to the new place and I realized just how many invasive plants were in the backyard. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time encountered a 35 year old box turtle that, you know, was doing okay, but I was afraid, you know, another 10 years of this, they're not going to have anything to eat down here. That's when we decided to remove all the invasives on our property. And and luckily the neighbors around have been very kind. So even on their properties in the back, because you can't build on the slope, Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been kind enough to let let me remove invasives there, so we have kind of a buffer. Uh, and then we've planted. We've been lucky over the last three years to plant over 400 uh, wildflowers, wow. trees, and bushes. We've seen over 108 species of bird. We have uh, foxes that come through here. Every once in a while, you'll see a very shy deer, which is ridiculous because we're 10 minutes from downtown. It's certainly made wilder by the fact that there's this steep little ravine that runs for about an eighth of a mile. And I didn't know this, but Tallahassee is full of these places that are secret green green spaces because you can't build on them. If they weren't here, there probably wouldn't be any forest here at all. 
um, it would have all been developed or, or cut down. But in fact, for erosion and flooding reasons, if you try to cut down any of these trees, you would seriously wind up with flooding problems for these properties. Yeah. So that's another thing that's that's kept it safe. Mm. It's been amazing to see it flower in our third year with no herbicides or pesticides. You know, the mosquitoes have actually gone down because their natural predators are are out in force because mm. they're not being suppressed by pesticide either. Uh, and as long as I, you know, refill the bird baths regularly, you know, the mosquitoes don't gather there. So that was really our only concern. And, and otherwise, it's just butterflies and native bees. Mm-hmm. Lore. Craig and I on the podcast have talked a great deal about invasive animals, pythons and boars iguanas. and yeah, yeah, iguanas, right, you you name it. We haven't spent as much time with invasive plants, but they are equally as problematic from asparagus fern to air potato. Uh, yeah, air potato, Brazilian <laughs> oh, pepper, kudzu, ivy, Caesar weed. I mean, it, this goes on and on and on yeah. and on and on and on and on. So what you guys are doing is great. I'm a member of the Florida Native Plant Society and trying to raise awareness in my local municipality oh, about these great. issues because we, we face the same thing. There was a, a, a city approved native planting in a little park right next mm-hmm. to where I live. And a neighbor complained and the city came through and mowed it to the ground. Yeah. I received a grant to plant all of that material, had fencing around it, and still one complaint by someone who's used to this yard. You know, this yard is a American fixation like few others. The, um, it's an expensive fixation, oh. too. That's the thing is rewilding is actually a lot cheaper. You don't use fertilizers. You don't use anything else. Usually, if there's any kind of unusual rainfall, you don't even need to worry about watering after the initial period mm-hmm. of the plant getting acclimated. So, yeah. And people you know, are a slave. Themselves to, are pretty cheap. So yeah. the, Americans have become a slave to the lawnmower, the weeder, the weed blower, the weed trimmer, pesticides, Roundup, the whole, I mean, it is a vicious yeah. cycle. Most people don't know lawns uh, require more water than any other crop yeah. in America, more than I, corn, more than soybeans. And is this a, a, are you as equally involved in the project as, as Jeff? Yeah, I love to take the pictures of Jeff doing his work. What's really <laughs> funny, what's really funny is when Jeff is outside, he, he has a ritual, you know, he gets up in the morning and he goes out to feed the birds and check everything. Mm-hmm. And Neo, our cat, we have a yep. 20 pound cat. He will follow him through the, through the windows, watching him with everything that he's doing. And, and it's so funny to me to watch Neo watching Jeff while Jeff is watching birds. Mm-hmm. So that's the <laughs> thing that kills me the most. So yesterday I took this fantastic picture of Neo <laughs> looking out onto the upper deck while Jeff was splayed out, laid out with his camera flat on his belly, looking out so that he could get a shot of this, this woodpecker. It's a special oh, kind of a woodpecker. Pileated woodpecker. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> now he does know the names of all the birds and all the sounds. And, and I, I tease him all the time because every time I see a cardinal, I say, Oh, look, it's a red bird. And I tease him that I only know the birds by their colors, but I am learning more and more about it. But what I wanted to say also is that while we were going through this whole process, we have, have had, a lot of contact with people here locally to help us learn more about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And to that point about the neighbor that complains, and I think it's more of a fact that they don't understand. They don't have the the knowledge or the experience Mm -hmm. yet. And to me, the best way for them to learn is through example. So I'll give you a, a great example of that. Last year, again, right before the shutdown, Jeff had a bunch of students that came over here from Pensacola on a field trip mm-hmm. with, um, and at first they had gone to St. Mark's, but then they came to our house and Jeff took him around the yard and, and basically explained to him what the plan was and how he had done it and different people that were involved. And so many of those students came back afterwards, sending emails and notes and letters to us about how they've been rethinking their, their field of study and how they want to incorporate more of this, that, and the other. And it's fascinating to me how just by doing something so simple like this, it can really expand and touch so many people in mm-hmm. so many different ways. A lot of times you don't realize how you're influencing other people, but I think that right. that's the best way to make a difference is by example. Sure. You can talk until you're blue in the face. You can write letters to the editor, but people have to experience it before they can understand it. Mm-hmm. I've actually gained 20,000 followers on Twitter since I posted started posting nature photos. I thought for sure I would just lose my entire audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you've, and you've picked up a column in the Tallahassee Democrat too, right? I have, uh, Wild Tallahassee. And, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of uh, columns are a little prescriptive. I mean, I understand, you know, don't do this, don't do that. You know, this is mm-hmm. harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I really wanted to do is just celebrate 
the urban wildlife we have here. So yeah, like, you know, one whole column was just about uh, yellow rumped warblers and pine siskins and, mm. and how they would be different if they were people in a bar, like pine siskins would be kind of a loop, <laughs> you know, and, and the, the, the warblers would be the falling down garrulous drunks, you know, and it's like, you know, just to kind of mm-hmm. give people a sense of that or, or the lives of the raccoons in our yard, because raccoons often get a bad rap. And yet, you know, I see from the trail cam, you know, just how oddly courteous they are to each other and <laughs> how little of an issue they are since they have this trough of woodland they never come up to the houses you know things like that where it's just like let's try to get past some foundational uh, misconceptions about animals in a fun way yeah yeah i've generally loved your column on on the possums that was a good oh one. thank you <laughs> <laughs> we do have the biggest possum i've ever seen i have this great shot from the trail cam of one of the smaller possums looking upon the large possum like it's a god or something <laughs> <laughs> there is increasing evidence that if we are to meet or reverse biodiversity collapse and, and meet some of these uh, projections for protecting 30% of land for conservation that individual property owners, homeowners are right. going to have to play a, a key role in that. When you look at all of the lawn in the eastern United States, it would amount to the largest national park by far. There just are not as many of these big, wild, open spaces as we want to think there are, especially in the East Coast. So even someone with a a small yard like you or even smaller Mm -hmm. like mine or just a a little Mm -hmm. down to a planter box, it matters when you plant that stuff with native plants and bring in the pollinators and the caterpillars and and those sort of things. Absolutely. And and keeping in mind a lot of uh, migrating birds like hummingbirds, you know, you might have one thing of a pot of wildflowers on a a deck or on a, I mean, on a balcony of your Mm -hmm. apartment. And that might be enough to sustain a bird that's almost on its last legs because, yeah. you know, something else got developed and the, the thing it thought was there isn't there anymore. Um, so we really have to start thinking about that, too. The small scale does actually make a difference. And I think it gives people a connection that's really important. Absolutely. Like saying. Yeah. At the same time, North Florida is is one of the most biodiverse places in the world, still has a ton of wilderness. And mm-hmm. we need to fight like hell to keep that because developers are coming after it now in various different ways. And uh, if we don't preserve this, I mean, it's actually kind of part of the climate crisis if we don't, because our climate resiliency, especially since a lot of this area is in a flood flood zone, uh, is going to be totally destroyed if if this stuff goes away. So. Well, I don't think people realize the amount of national forest in northern Florida, you know, from yeah. really from one side of the state to the other. You have tens of thousands of acres of national forest. And that has not always been managed appropriately with logging and, and different sort of things. But there is still a lot of land around here that could be essential to yeah. fighting climate change and and, uh, and, and the thing about it is and I, I i drove down to an event in tampa and, and i was horrified to see state parks where there were developments right up to the entrance yeah. of the state park effectively turning them into islands mm-hmm. uh you know and and having invasive plants come in so it's really important that those national and state parks don't have developments right on the edge uh and the developers don't find sneaky ways to actually develop yeah. on state parks and yeah. in national parks because i'm telling you if they could they would yeah well that, that's uh, what it's like and, here and i'm on, not entirely sure that they won't get away with something yeah. like that feels, uh, on amelia island a giant from. hotel 200 plus rooms went in across the street from one of the state parks here yeah. and yeah the the encroachment is right up to the boundary that really becomes a problem mm-hmm. how are people responding to your column in the democrat are people going you know hooray or are they asking questions or no they're really liking it i think because you know i do put like one serious fact in there every time that that's the goal <laughs> it's like it's fun but there's one serious thing you can learn if you want to but it's not in your face and so i think that people are going with the spirit of the column and i had people after the possum column email me and say i never really thought about possums that way that was really cool and i didn't know that they ate ticks and you know that was the fact i threw in but it was later in the article and so i get a lot of feedback you know i keep my email address on there so i can have communication and then for people in tallahassee and uh leon county i started a facebook group called keep tallahassee wild and if you're from the county or, or Tallahassee, you can uh, join that and share your photos and experiences. Uh, eventually, I hope that, Chad, it, it, it reaches that kind of level where it can help create a patchwork of those kinds of properties yeah. uh, by putting people in touch. If enough neighborhoods, uh, enough people from enough neighborhoods join that group. I will link to all of that in the 
show notes and totally switching gears. I also work from home with my wife and we are in related fields, both freelance writers. How do you guys successfully manage the uh, marriage and coworker relationship uh, at home? I want to handle this one because some guys are better than others. <laughs> no, but see, that's that's one of the reasons why we had to to look for a new house several years ago because I had been working in the computer industry for over thirty years, and when I retired from the computer industry and I was doing my work from home, we realized that the house that we were living in wasn't going to be able to to sustain two home offices. So that's what we were looking for when we came here. So this house, again, it was perfect. It was like this woman designed Mm -hmm. it just for us. The downstairs had two separate bedrooms and we made them into two home offices. And what's hilarious is that Jeff decided he didn't want a door on his office. So his Mm -hmm. office has no door. Well, there was a weird (laughs) catty corner, so it didn't make any sense to put it. But my office has a door. And and I wanted to put a little... I use my phone. But I wanted to put a little portal window between our offices so I could I could wait to her. And Anne was like, no. I said, Anne, why do you have a lock on your door? I don't understand why. <laughs> so, so we wait, have a different... <laughs> So wait, so which office does Neo hang out in? He's with us right now, and, and we're in my office. We're in my mm-hmm. office. But yeah, so what's nice about it is the downstairs has the two the two um, offices, and mm-hmm. it also has like our lobby library area where yeah. we have a, a huge wall of just bookshelves because, you know, got to have the bookshelves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the downstairs is where we work, and then the upstairs is the living area. So that's like mm-hmm. our separation. So we know that when we're downstairs, we're working, and we're upstairs, we're off yeah. working. Although... Yeah. Nowadays, we're working all the time. Well, yeah. (laughs) The hard factor is is that Anne has to put up with a lot of stupidity. Like the other day when, you know, we have a a deer skull with antlers on the deck. So the squirrels will chew on that rather than the cedar of our house. Mm -hmm. Uh, And somehow I managed in bare feet to step on one of the antlers and impale my ankle with the other. And so Anne had to deal with suddenly hearing from upstairs while she's working. I am (laughs) pinned. I impaled myself with the deer skull. Could you bring some bandages? (laughs) And uh, unfortunately, crap like that happens a lot, which I don't know what that says about my gardening technique. Thank God I've been working from home now because... Who knows? Who knows? You could have bled out. Bled out, exactly. This would be a a commemoration uh, or celebration of life podcast instead of of an interview. Well, I'm going to lose. Neo, Neo, go get help. (laughs) Be like, like, exactly. He's done that before. Neo doesn't care. No, Neo doesn't go get help. No. <laughs> I'm going to loop Craig in here because a lot of uh, issues people are having now with stay at home and, and working from home is how to be productive at home. Craig works from home and you guys work from home and writing requires a lot of you know, dedicated thought and long stretches and, and linear thinking. For people who have been struggling and are struggling with being productive while working at home, what advice would you give them? First of all, you have to understand your own personal work habits. For me, I know that the best time for me to tackle the important critical thinking I need to do is in the mornings. And so as an editor, that's when I work on reading fiction and editing fiction and doing those kinds of things. So the afternoon is when I do the stuff that doesn't require as much focus, you know, like responding to emails or dealing with um, accounting stuff or things like that, that I have to do for the business. So it's more a matter of understanding what your personal rhythms are and then scheduling your time around that. Some people work better in the middle of the night. You know, they're they're more productive, you know, after midnight. So if that's the way it is for you, then you need to look at it that way instead of trying to fit yourself into a nine to five work day. The thing that I found is, you know, it's one thing to work from home voluntarily. <laughs> it's another thing <laughs> to oh, not yeah. be able to leave home <laughs> because of a <laughs> pandemic. And so, uh, you know, the stress of that actually began to weigh on I me. Mean, I know we're very fortunate to work from home, not complaining about that. But over time, I realized that the news, you know, the election news, the pandemic news was going to freeze me up in my writing. And so in terms of the workflow, I just had to recognize it was going to be a new rhythm that I was going to get frozen by something but that I would unfreeze. And, and the way I coped with it is I started writing non-linearly. So instead of trying to work through the, the next novel scene by scene, whatever struck me as the thing I wanted to write that day is what I, I would start writing. And, and that was another way to kind of jumpstart things. So I know not every job you can you can just focus on the thing you want to focus on, yeah. but but at least recognizing that it's okay to be frozen. It's okay that this 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 is not natural. It's okay to be stressed. And then just realize that you will have a moment when you're not as frozen 
and find things to distract you. It also helps, you know, when I'm working in the yard, because that means there's a part of the day that Ann and I are not in the same space. So she's less likely to want to kill me by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's also useful. You have to do that yourself. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I do remember meeting, meeting a, um, a writer several years ago in the UK and um, he explained his process of working from home and he's, he um, wrote graphic novels and what he would do is he would get up in the morning, you know, have his breakfast, Mm -hmm. tea, whatever, get dressed. And he would open the door to his house and walk around the house to the right. And then he would come back into the house and then sit down and he would do his work. And then when he was done with his work, whenever that was, he would get up and he would go out the front door and go to the left and go all the way around his house. So that's how in his mind, he was breaking up his work time and his his non-work time. And I think it's very important because we do tend when we're working from home, whether by choice or by necessity, to spend too many hours working and not having that division. And I don't think that putting in that many hours makes you more productive. I think it actually makes you less productive. As a matter of fact, I was just reading a book about this Dutch philosophy called Nixon. It's N-I-K-S-E-N, Nixon, which is the art of doing nothing. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's a Dutch philosophy of how you can be happier and more productive if you have enough time set aside to do nothing and by nothing, I mean, not watching TV, nothing, not scrolling on Twitter, but nothing, just sitting and doing nothing. And I think that that is very valuable for people to be able to take some time in their day. And, you know, in the beginning, it's very hard. It's not meditating. It's not mindfulness. It's just doing nothing. We call that napping in Florida. (laughs) 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 Craig, how about you? How do you organize your day from home? Uh, Badly. (laughs) 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 If I ever get, if I ever get to feel like writer's block is coming on, I just look at my mortgage uh, statement. and I I think, and you bring up a good point in that work from home has become live at work. And (laughs) for so many people, when it's, you know, email is always there and, and it is hard to mentally build in, you know, those mechanisms like the, the British guy to say, okay, now I'm at work and now I'm not at work. Getting back to work and, and Salamander Hummingbird, the big, uh, when does the virtual book tour begin, Jeff? It starts in uh, uh, early April, April 6th. Okay. And, uh, one of the stops is Midtown Reader in Tallahassee, of course, where Anne's going to grill me. And we also mm-hmm. have uh, celebrity questions that I haven't seen. So like uh, the celebrity chef, uh, Alton Brown, has given Anne some questions to ask me that I'm kind of terrified of. And uh, Mike he, he Flanagan. Want, he wants your hummingbird recipe. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike Flanagan's going to submit a question, the guy who directed uh, Haunting of Hill House and, and stuff oh, like wow. that. So it'll be kind of cool. Um, I'm also really happy because there's a stop on there with uh, Lily Taylor, the actress who is also rewilding her yard. So that's what oh, we're going to wow. talk about. And yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, if, if you look at the schedule, uh, I'm doing an event in the UK with David Mitchell, the novelist, which I'm really excited about. I mean, I'm excited about all of these things. Uh, Karen Russell, who has ties to this state. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's something for everybody on the tour. And I'll be doing a little bit of reading. We also have created some amazing <laughs> products, which is to say there's hummingbird salamander T-shirts and stationery <laughs> with different <laughs> designs. And so we'll be giving away some of that stuff during the events because, you know, these virtual events are so weird because you don't really see the audience. You can't really get that that energy from them. Yeah. So yeah. Now I'm going to try to chat right before the event in the in the, you know, in the text uh, area. Uh, with with readers and 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 try to be a little more uh, interactive than I normally would be for a virtual event, just because it you know it, I feel weird about not being able to see people. Yeah. Speaking of uh, rewilding, do you have any advice for people who want to follow in your footsteps on that and and uh, try and do the same thing with their yards? Well, I have uh, I have uh, nine things you can do on my uh, jeffvandermeer.com site. Uh, if you just look under the archive and there's a section called yard, you can also see some information that has links. Uh, and, and you know, it, it really is about the scalability of it. It's like you can do almost anything. You know, the other thing you can do is if you don't own property, if you don't want to do something at your apartment, but, you know, you belong to a church and and the, the church has property and Great they advice. don't uh, plant anything or they mm-hmm. don't plant uh, native plants. 
You know, there's a great initiative in Tallahassee that Kara Fletcher has been working on where she's gotten 25 religious institutions to convert to to native plants and green space and not using as much herbicide and pesticides. So there's that. There's the thing of, you know, just don't rake your leaves. You know, that leaf layer is so important for Mm -hmm. birds. Things live in it. Fireflies live in it. You know, those are important. That's the kind of information I have on my on my site where it's like the entry level is so low. You can do almost anything. Have any kind of connection you want uh, to nature without spending a lot of money. And in fact, in some cases, you're spending less money than you are now. So and time, less time too. So when when you put in the trap cameras, did, was there are there things if you have been really surprised about discovering in your yard as a result of rewilding it? I think the gray fox was this really confident, jaunty, <laughs> so healthy, supremely healthy gray fox just kind of prancing through the ravine. Uh, the fact that I've been able to get on the trail cam flying squirrels, which are notoriously difficult to, to catch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, if you look at my Twitter feed the last few days, you'll see the video. And it's just great to see them because, you know, that's something that's invisible to a lot of people. So they don't realize mm-hmm. that, you know, in the abstract, it's like I can just cut down this tree, you know, that maybe I don't even need to cut down and nothing's going to happen. But that tree is full of of all kinds of mm-hmm. animals. And, and usually what happens is most of them die. They don't really they can't go somewhere else because somewhere else is already occupied. So, you know, that, that, but, but if they're invisible, if, if, if you don't know that they're there, then you don't really understand uh, what it is you might be losing. Uh, I think a lot of people don't even know Florida has flying squirrels or didn't. No, they didn't I know. Have... Until that article about the, the ones that are being the smuggled. Poachers. Right. Yeah. Yes, the poachers who were smuggling them to China. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is just nuts, you know. So that's one thing also is just trying to make visible the invisible so people really, really see it. You know, even carpenter bees, you know, they're not classified as wood destroyers here. They'll make a little hole maybe that's cosmetically not pleasing, but the the the, the depth that people go to to eradicate them uh, when they're really important pollinators and you have to kind of assess the situation. You know, you can't just go in and say this thing is automatically bad or I need to get rid of it. You just really need to assess the situation like you would in any other case. And that's also about not spending money or not spending time ultimately. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing too is by not putting out fertilizer, you're actually helping yeah. the water quality. Absolutely. And that's a huge thing even uh, here in Tallahassee because a lot of our wastewater, our stormwater ponds feed into uh, Wakulla Springs or mm-hmm. into that whole area. At Springshed, uh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we have this real problem where unfortunately, you know, the city has a great solar farm and stuff, but in terms of understanding that you can't just put in a stormwater pond and it's going to help weed out pollution you have to actually put in filters yeah. you have to actually do something more like Sweetwater in Gainesville where they create an artificial marsh to like help you know extricate those pollutants before they go further hmm. um so yeah, basically I, I love this stormwater ponds that are just feeding pollutants into natural right. systems I love this idea in Florida that you can pave over a wetland and then dig a hole in the ground and let water grow into it with exactly. turf grass on the side and that somehow is going to be this magical filter for water and produce it's <laughs> so asinine of course yeah so of course what you wind up with or you're going to wind up with is you're going to wind up with some communities especially like in south florida that not only are the prescribed burns going to be choking them out every day because they decided to build development in the path of that but you're also <laughs> going to have flooding and you're going to have all kinds of problems because of these stupid stormwater plants yeah where yeah. you've also paved stuff over and it's right. just bad planning that's and, the thing and those stormwater those containment ponds if they had native vegetation in and around yes. them could be meaningful but when exactly got- and you know Sweetwater is a really great example of that in Gainesville if you all haven't visited I'm fairly sure that Craig probably has gone through there but but that place was just a complete nothing. And 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 the company that did that, which does a lot of natural restoration of stormwater ponds so they hmm. become habitats, it's a miracle. It's a miracle how much life is found there within every square foot. You just yeah. would not believe it when you go there. You see concentrations of bitterns and all kinds of other birds that you just don't see in those those numbers elsewhere. So. Well, and then drive anywhere in Florida and look at all the containment ponds, whether it's right. yeah, exactly. commercial. And it's, you know, I guess every... the good thing is, if we work hard, those can all become something. Absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. uh, but still, it's it's very depressing to see that this is just this kind of lazy way of dealing with or not dealing with a problem. Yeah. It is a laziness and it's also a lack of imagination. Well, and 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 a, and a lack of, of investigating the science behind stuff because right. exactly. so, so often exactly. the, the, uh, the mitigation wetlands that are built yeah. to make up for the wetlands that got filled in yeah. end up becoming yeah. open water ponds, which don't right. provide the same services to the ecosystem that, that an actual wetland does. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that's why all of this stuff, you know, it's, it's tiring and it's wearying because you have to be 
on top of all of this, you know, locally in Tallahassee, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. As, as I've become more and more involved with the politics of it, I'm just horrified at how little oversight uh, there is and how much operational knowledge, unfortunately, seems to be like from the 1990s, you know? It, it really, and this is one thing, you know, uh, Donald Trump made me an activist. Uh, I had no yeah, idea. Thanks, and, thanks and, Donald. Yeah, and, and, and Cattail, honestly. I, you know, un, until listening to Cattail on Audible, I had no idea how antagonistic the state of Florida and all of its departments who were designed to protect the environment were mm. actually working in the opposite yeah. direction. So those two, uh, Craig Pittman and Donald Trump share that in common and they, they turned me into a, uh, an activist, but like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, like you were saying, Jeff, it's a, it's a part-time job, you know, yeah. to stay on top of your city and your County and the state and federal, and then to, to work towards this. I mean, I I'll bet 10 or 12, 15 volunteer hours a week, whether it's sending emails or pulling out yeah. invasives or doing this or doing that. Yeah. Uh, but somebody's got to do it because the, the people in charge of doing it are not. Well, I mean, here in Tallahassee, uh, they almost were in a situation where they were going to build on a protected permanent environmental easement. And somehow they almost got away with that. So this is what concerns me is that if you're not totally on top of everything, if you're yeah. not going to every meeting where someone isn't monitoring mm-hmm. every situation where there's not enough citizen input, you can get it in a situation where laws are broken and nobody even knows. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's what's frustrating. And I go through the same thing here in the city of Fernandino Beach in Nassau County. The laws are on the books. Yeah. Right. But yeah. no one is enforcing them. Yeah. And the developers and the commercial interests don't yeah. bother following them because even if they do get caught, it's like a $500 fine. So what yeah, the right. hell? And it, you, I mean, you're essentially having to do the job of the Technical Review Commission and the Planning right. Commission and the, the code enforcement. And it's like, I'm not getting paid for this. Well, there's someone <laughs> yeah. sitting in City Hall making $65,000 a year on you know full retirement and uh, benefits who is just utterly asleep at the switch. Well, that's yeah. why it's so important to to pay attention to who's get who gets elected yeah. in local government yeah. and, and to well, vote in every election. Matter. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing here in Tallahassee. We've had three straight progressive candidates beat heavily favored incumbents because people were so pissed off about mm-hmm. the lack of citizen input, the lack of citizen control over our planning process is basically what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, if we get if we flip one more seat on the city commission, basically the people will regain control over local government. Right now, we don't still really have control over some of the infrastructure that's going in. You know, mm-hmm. the, the way that it, it's set up, it's like you get you get the opportunity to comment when they've already decided on what they're going to do. There it is. And then you yeah. can maybe alter it slightly. Yeah. And sometimes it's better than that. I, absolutely. And there are obviously good people working in the city, but, mm. but the process itself has become undone from, from, from yes. citizens actually being in control and even the city commission being in control of those processes. As we wind things up, uh, Jeff, give us a, a, a taste of what we can expect in uh, hummingbird salamander. And then Anna update us on uh, how we can find you and what you're up to? Well, I think uh, Hummingbird Salamander is a little bit of a departure because it really is a true uh, full-on thriller mystery embedded in the middle of it. It it is about, you know, a a mystery that might actually involve the fate of the world as this woman, uh, you know, gets this piece of taxidermy from a dead uh, (laughs) eco-activist that she doesn't know and then follows that, that, uh, that clue down a rabbit hole where she just can't get out of what she finds. And I love thrillers and mysteries, and I read a lot of them. Uh, and I was really thrilled to to be able to write one this time. Find me on Twitter. Okay. And Vandermeer, very easy to find me. I mostly post pictures of Neo, books, <laughs> sometimes beer. Um, I'm I'm also an acquiring editor for Tor.com, and I, I um, acquire wonderful stories. I had one published just yesterday called Masquerade Season by Pami Aguda. She's an amazing writer. So please look for that story on tour.com. It's called Masquerade Season. In September, I've got a, a, a graphic novel coming out called Secret Life by Theo Ellsworth. It's adapting one of my short stories. It's this amazing 200-page graphic novel that's basically about this strange vine that grows from a houseplant and takes over this office building and uh, mm. has more environmental themes, also has a lot of office satire. I used to work uh, in an office uh, with a, a contractor that had uh, contracts with the state of Florida. So it's actually very Floridian, even though it's never named as Florida, because it's kind of <laughs> like a fantastical office building. But anyone who's who's worked uh, as a contractor for the state will recognize quite a bit of it. You told, I'm trying to think, you told me a funny story about your time working in an office. And I'm, I, I'm, 
I can't remember what it was now. But oh, there's so many. I mean, it was like Lord of the Flies with middle management, and then there was the time <laughs> I was on the road visiting every Department of Health for one of our projects. Uh, every single last one, and and things happening like uh, the guy who was our business process analyst in the meeting lost a tooth right in the middle of the <laughs> meeting, uh, or a GPS messed up, and we wound up in the middle of nowhere for like hours trying to get to a meeting. I mean, I had a guy uh, call me Frog Boy in a in a business center in a hotel while I was trying to print meeting minutes out, and almost got assaulted. I mean, all kinds of stuff have happened uh, when I've so it's hard to know what story to focus on. Uh, one day I will write a novel that incorporates all of the strange things that happened. <laughs> this all has right, been well, great, guys. Thanks for yeah. your time. Thanks Thank so you. much for joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah, Take care so and and uh, hope you see the fox again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you like working from home, Craig? Uh, you know, uh, my the number of staff meetings I have to go to has dropped to zero, so mm-hmm. I really like that. Uh, uh, the downside is snacks are really close. <laughs> so- so I do. I snack way too much now. Yeah, I, I I do the same thing. I I work from home now as well. And when I'm in like one of those moments, not of of writer's block or not having anything to do, but I'm like right at the cusp of. It's almost like a nervous energy where I'll mm-hmm. I'll reach for the peanuts or popcorn or or whatever I've got. I I happen to love working from home. Uh, earlier in in 2021, I transitioned from my job in radio, driving 37 miles to work each day in Jacksonville to working from home and uh, love spending time with my wife. So that's, you know, a, a, a perk most people don't have in general, let alone being able to spend all day. So we don't have any trouble with that. And I think a lot of it does come down to discipline. And, and I've always had the discipline to know when, okay, I've got to dig in and, and this is the time for work. And we also benefit from not having kids either, which is, a, 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 I won't say an obstacle for a lot of people, but it is, it, it it does get in the way of, of trying to work for sure. Well, it, it can. It doesn't have to. Um, I, and it makes a difference if your if your kids are little or big. Uh, mine sure, mine sure. are both. One is starting college. The other one is starting law school, and they're taking their classes online. So you know, other than making sure they eat lunch every day and dinner, um, <laughs> they're here. But we're they don't stop me from doing what I need to do. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of funny. We expect my wife and I expected to be empty nesters at this point, but we're definitely not. And mm-hmm. it's I'm not complaining about that. I'm not. Well, if you've got a piece of property like Jeff Vandermeer, but without the ravine, now we, we can't <laughs> send people to hip camp and try and park an RV on the side of a hill and end up upside down because that would get in the news for all the wrong reasons. But if you are a property owner in Florida with natural property and access preferably to maybe it's the ocean, maybe it's a, a marsh, maybe it's a, a wetland area, boy, hip camp would love to hear from you because the hip camp membership all across the country wants to come to Florida, wants to connect with the natural setting here, and and they need landowners. They have more uh, demand than they have supply, quite frankly, and that's why hip camp reached out to welcome to Florida to say, hey, ask your listeners if they've got property they're willing to list with us so our members can stay with them. So if you've got a place in Florida to share, get started today. Hipcamp.com slash land. All it has to be is flat, large enough just to pitch a tent or park an RV. We're not talking about uh, huge tracts of thousands of acres. This can be small, but preferably connection or close proximity to nature so folks can get outdoors and, and be by themselves and think and get a little peace and quiet. So if you've got a place that fits those criteria anywhere in Florida, let Hip Camp work with you to start earning some side revenue around it. HipCamp.com slash land. HipCamp.com slash land. Last thing, Craig, have you ever been to St. Mark's, the, the National Wildlife Refuge there up in the Panhandle area? Just once and not for nearly as long as I wanted to be there. I w- the, the, and the time of year I would really love to be there is when the monarch butterflies come through. Mm-hmm. They have, they're on the migration pathway yeah. for mm-hmm. the monarch butterflies that head down to Mexico uh, every year. And so they actually have a big festival about this time of year to celebrate all of the monarchs that come through St. Mark's and, and are there for you know several days. And it just uh, totally transforms the place. And I would love to be there for that. I, I have somehow managed to miss that every year, but I, it's, on my, it's on my Florida bucket list. 